This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alexanian. Welcome back, everyone, to the show. I'm Ethan Alexanian. That's Alexanian for some of you uh, who may not be able to pronounce it right. Um, While I'm very appreciative of Kiddo Tool's shout-out in one of the last episodes of her show that she co-hosts talk more talk she uh spelled or she said my last name very very wrong i love you kit but it's alexanian <laughs> anyways enough about that we've got a we've got a great show for you today the person we've got with you or with us today is the person who i consider my kind of gateway into the wonderful world of Beatle fans that I met at the Beatle Fest. She was kind of the first one I met, and she kind of took me under her wing. And welcome to the show, Susan Ryan. Susan, welcome Hi. to the show. Hi, Ethan. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Finally, get to talk to you uh, for your uh, for your podcast, and uh, it's very going to be a very interesting conversation and an exciting afternoon. Hopefully. <laughs> now, here's everyone's favorite part of the show. Susan, do you have? A book coming out, perhaps? Actually, yes. Um, so uh, one of the things I do, um, I'm, I live in New York City, um, and I'm, I live in the Bronx at the moment, but I'm, I'm a native New Yorker, born and raised in Queens, lived in Manhattan for 22 years, um, now live in, in the um, Northwest Bronx. And um, I one of the things I do is I'm the uh, tour guide and owner of Fab 4 NYC Walking Tours, which is Beatles-related walking tours of New York City. So um, I, if you're ever in New York and you want a tour of Beatles sites, and there are plenty more of them besides um, Strawberry Fields and the Dakota, people don't realize that. Um, I was planning can, on taking one of your tours uh, early April before the coronavirus thing happened mm-hmm. when I was going to see Elton John at Madison Square Garden, but that all went up yeah, in the air. Kind of went down the tubes. Yeah, I had to actually get in touch with somebody right when this first started. I was supposed to have a family from out of town come, and I had to write to them and go, "I don't think you want to come to New York right now." <laughs> and they canceled their they canceled their, uh, their trip. But yeah, so um, I do these tours, and um, it, it actually been doing them for gosh, close to fifteen years. Um, and one of the things, the book. Now that I'm getting back to the original question, um, the book is um, the question was just a segue. I know, but, you know, I kind of went off on it because uh, it's what I do. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, you know, anyway, the, the thing is that I am working on a book right now with uh, two of my fellow tour guides, uh, David Bedford in Liverpool and Richard Porter in London. Uh, David is one of um, several um, Liverpool tour guides that I know, and um, Richard does the London Beatles walks in London, and um, they're friends who I've known for a very, very long time. And the three of us are collaborating on a book that was supposed to come out this summer, but um, obviously it's been put on hold because of the whole um, pandemic and, and our publisher had to put people on furlough for now and things like that. So it's on hold until I don't know when. Yeah. Um, but we're working on a book called The Beatles Fab Four Cities. And um, it's going to be about um, Beatles sites and history in Liverpool, Hamburg, London, and New York. And I 
wrote the New York section. So um, Richard uh, and David worked on the Hamburg section with another tour guide in Hamburg, and then they each wrote the sections about Liverpool and London. Um, and um, it's going to have sort of um, history about various sites, including ones that we don't always cover on our tours. And uh, well, if all goes well, we'll come out before the end of the year. If all does not go well, they'll come out. It'll come out beginning of next year. But um, it really depends on. Um, how it will come out. Oh, it will. It will. I mean, we submitted the manuscript. Um, we they're working on the photos. Uh, the editor is editing. So. Um, you know, it's just that everything kind of slowed way down, you know? I'm going to need to pick myself up a copy of this when this comes out. This sounds really cool. It'll be a great book. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, we are all experts on our respective cities and the Beatles' connections therein. So um, it's kind of um, it's kind of a way to get it all together and talk about the four cities that formed the Beatles. Um, What's your favorite Beatles site to take uh, people to on your tours in New York? Uh, there are a couple. Well, obviously, the obvious one is Strawberry Fields because everybody yeah. wants to go there. Um, it's you know the the um, the tribute to John Lennon when he died. Um, the city of New York wanted to do something in his memory, and this section, one and a half acre section of the park directly across the street from the Dakota, was the logical place to put a tribute. And um, the Parks Department and um, Yoko Ono worked to create this living memorial. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely one of my favorite places to take people. People always want to go there. With I the iconic it. mosaic on the ground and exactly. some part of it. Exactly. I've... And and there's a dedication plaque. It's, it's beautiful there, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, and yes, I've had people get very emotional when they go, you know, because... Um, it is, of course, where fans gather on um, John's birthday in October and on the anniversary of his death in December. <laughs> this year um, was, I don't know what's going to happen come October, December, uh, was, of course, going to be a real biggie because um, 80th birthday and 40 years since, uh, since John's death. So it was going to be a big deal, but I have no idea what's going to be by October and December. So we shall see. But that's probably one of my favorite places. Another place I like to take people is the Plaza Hotel, actually. Because mm -hmm. people like to see it, and um, you know, they like to, to hear about um, what it was like when the Beatles were there, and um, they also, you know, it's also, it's also the place where we usually take a pit stop, so we get to go downstairs into the food court, and yeah. people can get, you know, a black and white cookie, and you know, enjoy themselves and get little New York food, and hang out. So the plaza is kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. So, Do you take people to where Murray the K used to broadcast from? Uh, no, I do not. Um, I am not even actually sure where that studio was. Um, I should know that, and I don't. Um, the, the tour basically covers Midtown um, Manhattan and... Um, the Upper West Side. Um, there are some locations that, that we can't get to, which are actually even mentioned in the book because we can't get to them on my tour. Because um, the tour that I do is strictly walking. <laughs> so um, in order to be able to walk, we have to have a reasonable distance. I can't take people like down to Greenwich Village or up to Harlem because it's not walkable. It would involve getting on a subway. But, um, yeah. you know, I can create a tour for somebody. If somebody really wanted something personal, I could do something. But... Um, mostly no I, I just go to sort of iconic places in midtown Manhattan 
All right, so I think we should talk a little bit more about you, Susan. Okay. When did you first discover the Beatles? Um, okay, so I am what friends of mine about my age have described as um, a first-and-a-half generation fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a first-generation fan by a technicality, okay? Um, my mother says that I was in the room um, when they were on Ed Sullivan in 1964. Um, I was just past my second birthday. I do not remember it at all. <laughs> um, so I have to take my mother's word for it. I do know that um, we moved from the apartment. If it makes you feel better, I don't remember it at all either. There you go. There you go. You know, if you did, I'd be real surprised. Yeah. I, I would say that it was in another lifetime, you know. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, I know we moved from the apartment I lived in as a baby to the house that I basically grew up in the following weekend. So we moved into the house on February 14th, and my mother said that she was busy packing boxes and things while watching Ed Sullivan, <laughs> and that I was in the room on the playpen, in the playpen. So I, of course, do not remember this at all. Um, so my earliest memory of the Beatles is probably from when I was around four years old, 1965. Um, I remember hearing the song, We Can Work It Out on the radio. Um, that, um, you know, it's got that sort of iconic hook in the middle of the part that goes, life is very short, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, very memorable. I was a little kid. I remember hearing that when I was a child. That's my earliest Beatles memory. Becoming a fan though, the reason I say first and a half is that I was around in the 60s. So I remember hearing that song on the radio. I remember seeing Yellow Submarine in the movie theater when it was new and I was about seven. Um, things like that. But um, became a big fan in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So um, 1975, uh, the summer before my 14th birthday. Um, so I'm giving away my age, which I really don't care at this point. <laughs> um, uh I went to summer camp out on Long Island. So there was this girl on, on our bus at the summer camp that my brother and I went to. Um, she was a little older than I was. I was um, just shy of 14, so I was 13 years old. And uh, turned 14 that that uh, fall. And um, she asked me if I liked the Beatles, and I said, well, um, yeah, I guess. And she said, oh, well, if you like the Beatles, you have to listen to this record and you have to listen to this album. And you have to read this book and you have to do this, that and the other thing. And I was hooked. Um, she loaned me records, stuff like that. And that fall, after I started uh, ninth grade, uh, which at the time was still middle school, my middle school went seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, uh, They were showing the movie A Hard Day's Night at the local library. This was before um, the days of DVDs and being able to own a movie or being able to call it up on demand. You know, it was the olden days. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, it was definitely the olden days. And and um, my friend and I went to see A Hard Day's Night at the local public library in Fresh Meadows, Queens. And it was the first time I'd seen them sort of walking, talking, moving. You know, the only other time I'd ever seen a Beatles movie was Yellow Submarine, which is not really the Beatles. So there you yeah. go. And um, what are you talking about? They know. appeared for what thirty seconds at the end, S- something like yeah. But you know that that doesn't make much of an impression on an eight-year-old kid, a seven-year-old kid. Um, but anyway, um, there they were up on the screen, you know, walking, talking, moving, laughing. Now I will freely admit that I was fourteen almost. Well, I was fourteen, just about fourteen, and I 
saw one thing and one thing only. Um, it was like tunnel vision. I saw Don Lennon and that was it. I didn't see, I, it took years before I saw the rest of that movie. Uh, and I'm not going to lie. Um, people who know me know this, so it's not a surprise. Um, and uh, I thought he was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life. Um, and I still think that, but that's something else again. The 40, 40 odd, 45 odd year habit is or 45 very odd year habit to, to break. Um, I see but what anyway, you did there. That, see, you know, I try to be clever. It doesn't always work. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, it was kind of like tunnel vision. It was what I saw. Um, I loved the movie. I thought it was great. Um, and really got into it from there. Books, records, made lists. <laughs> I had lists of all the albums that I needed to buy and in what order I needed to buy them. And I would save my babysitting money and I would buy albums as they came out. Now for my 14th birthday though, because I didn't own any Beatles records at this point, but my 14th birthday that October, um, my parents got me the red album and the blue album. Mm -hmm. um, so the Beatles 1960, to 1966 and 1967 to 70, um, those were fairly new at the time. They had come out maybe a year or two before mm -hmm. and um they were sort of good all-purpose introductions to the beatles like a lot of people got introduced with the one album same kind of thing yeah and my parents bought me those albums for my 14th birthday and i bought myself a beatles album for my 14th birthday there was a used record store near where my mother worked at the time um and um they had used records in bins and they mm -hmm. had a copy monophonic copy of Meet the Beatles, the Beatles' first American release, mm -hmm. um, for 50 cents. Not bad. And I bought it. Yeah, and I bought it. I still have it. That's my, that's my copy of Meet the Beatles. I grew up on the American albums. Okay, it was before the, the uh, CDs came out and um, before British albums were readily available mm -hmm. in the U.S. So um, I grew up on the American albums. And uh, I bought that album for myself when I turned 14 for half a dollar. So, I was uh, curious when you said uh, you had a list of which Beatles albums you needed to buy in a specific order. Mm -hmm. What order? <laughs> well, I tried to buy them in chronological order. Okay. It didn't always work out that way. Yeah. Um, there were there were record stores. I had a bunch of places where I'd buy records, okay? Mm -hmm. I miss record stores. Man, do I miss record stores. You know, I, I just all the places that I used to buy records are gone. And um, there were there was a record store right in my neighborhood um, called the Music Box, a little <laughs> little independent record store. And I used to buy records from them. And then there was another record store that was um, I lived off of Main Avenue, and there was down the avenue that I could get to by bus. There was another place called Fox Hollow Records. Okay. And they used to have sales, and I used to buy records from them. But the big one, there was a department store here in New York. People from New York City will remember called EJ Corvettes. And Corvettes was a department store that mm -hmm. had everything. So they had clothing and they had... I know of Corvettes. Things. You know about Corvettes. Okay, so they had everything. But they had a record department. Mm -hmm. And twice a year or so, they would have what they called their all-label sale. And all albums, no matter what label, no matter what artist, were $2.99 or $3.99. And I used to save up my babysitting money so that when Corvettes had their all-label sale... I would be able to go because there was a Corvette that I could get to by bus. Yeah. And I would go and I would buy as many albums as I had money for. <laughs> and the reason it didn't always happen in chronological order was because sometimes I had to go by what they had, you know? <laughs> and so um, it didn't always happen in, in strictly chronological order because 
um, you know, if if uh, if I was if I needed rubber sole and they didn't have it and they had you know uh, Sergeant Pepper, well, I, I went I could get you know. <laughs> um, also, it was it was in the days of of the early solo catalog, so I was also buying those. Um, so I had a list of those as well, um, <laughs> you know, to buy, you know, early solo releases. Um, so that's basically I kept lists, you know, and I would check them off, and then when I I had these record holders in my room and, and you kind of stack the albums and flip through them like you did in a record store. Mm-hmm. And I kept them in chronological order and in alphabetical order by artist and chronological order by, you know, chronology of the artist, etc. I was very, 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 very obsessive about this. As you That's exactly how I have my record set up right now. There you go. It's a smart way to do it. Yeah. Although with the Beatles, it gets a little bit more specific because I have them divided up by country. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do too. I mean, I have some some weird, I have some really weird imports, like not just British ones. I have ooh, do tell. Uh, well, a, a number of years ago, a friend of mine was was um, getting rid of his record collection, and he didn't want to just sell it, so he gave it to me. Hook, line, and sinker gave me the whole thing. I did tell him before he did. I said, "Listen, some of this stuff is valuable, and and I don't want to just take it off your hands if you don't realize it's valuable." <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, "Are you going to sell it?" And I said, "No." He said, "No, then take it." <laughs> so he gave me this whole record collection, and and he had been in the in the service, so he had picked up records in weird places. Like I have a Venezuelan pressing of the Help album. Oh. And um, I have a German pressing of this the collection of Beatles oldies mm-hmm. you know stuff that didn't come out in the states and then I have the the box set the British box set with the book of let it be oh oh that's worth book, that's worth quite a, a penny it, now it is it is and especially the book is not falling apart and this book is not falling apart yeah and it's in its sleeve with its little box that you sort of put the the um book into the, you know sits in the box and um, One more reason boxes, for me to yeah. flaunt my Canadian nationality, the box set did come out in Canada. There you go. It didn't come out here, but this was, he picked it up. I forget where he said he picked it up. He may have picked it up when he was in the service, like not in England, somewhere in Turkey or something. But he, um, but yeah, I have some some weird, weird pressings of things. Not a lot, but some stuff is just strange. You know, because I got it from this guy. You know, in case you ever want to go full digital, I know someone who'd be willing to take them off your hands. I know. You know what? I I sorry. I just no. <laughs> you know, no, it's there, worth a shot. It's worth a I, shot. Always worth an ask, and always worth a no. <laughs> but yeah, that's so. Those are, um, you know, I have, and then now, of course, I've got the the CDs, of course. But you know, it's funny. When you grow up on the um, American albums, and you can ask this about first-generation fans or people like me who, who before digital, okay, um, I am pretty good about telling you what songs are on what albums if I, you ask me about the American albums, and to this day, I still get really confused as to what is on the British or the CDs, because I they're so completely different, like Rubber Soul is such a completely different album. I cannot to this day tell you exactly what is on the CD because it's the British pressing and I have really? no idea. Yeah, it's a completely different record. So um, I get confused. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this last night as I was lying in bed. Was From Me to You on any U.S. album? I, I do not believe so. 
uh, or maybe it was. Maybe it was on introducing the Beatles. I'm going to look. I've got my records right here, so I'm going to see if I can pull it out. Um, here someplace. Uh, I have so many. Uh, you have to send me pictures of some of these weird imports because I'd like I to will see have them. To do that. Oh, now these are all. Somebody's been touching these because I oh, don't know where it's gone. Um, uh, but, 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 introducing the Beatles. First off, can't even see anymore. Anyway, it's it's. Uh, I think it may have been on on introducing the Beatles, which was on V Day. <laughs> so here we go. I've got the album. Uh, for me to you, for me to you. No, it's not on there. Shocking. It's not. Yeah. This just um, in. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's not on there, but yeah, I don't think it was actually on an American album. Now that I think about it, you know, the thing about the American albums, I think you probably know this, but um, mm-hmm. the American albums didn't have the single. I mean, did have the single on them. The British albums didn't. The singles yeah. were released as singles or oh, EPs. Yeah. So you know, the American albums, the American Capitol executive the executives felt that they had to put the single on the album in order. Good to Good old the album. Dave Dexter Jr. Pretty much, yeah, and um, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, and I know I'm sure you've you've read various books like Ruth Spicer's books, and um, have you read uh, Pierce Hemmingson's uh, Beatles in Canada? I I don't have his book, but he is he is my next guest okay. next week. Well, so he now has a lot of stuff. Now <laughs> I feel a little embarrassed. No, don't be embarrassed. He, he he's a great guy. He's terrific. Uh, he actually does Beatles tours in Toronto too. Oh, and I've done I've done his tour. We were in Toronto. Um, I was in Toronto last uh, year um, with Janet Davis, who you know, mm-hmm. um, our friend from the fest. And she and I took uh, Pierce took us around and took us on a Beatles tour of Toronto, which was pretty awesome. Actually, see, that's how I know you're not from Toronto because you're pronouncing the last T. Yes, I know. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Tor- Toronto, Toronto. Yeah, it's like Toronto. Yes, but no. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, hey, I'm fr- I'm from New York. What do you want? Yeah, <laughs> but um, you know I can't even name all of the boroughs, so I uh, we, I I can't blame you for anything. We have to work on you. You know, I'm just a we'll, we'll you and I will talk. No, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So so uh, the Beatles history in Canada, of course, was very very different. Mm-hmm. Which you will find out when you talk to Pierce. Um, well, I know we got the Beatles uh, on Capitol like a full year before you guys did. You did, and, and we got, got basically we got the entire with the Beatles album. Yes. Uh, you know, even before "I Want to Hold Your Hand" came out in the states. Yes, and it was interesting because one of the things I learned when I um, uh, read Pierce's book and when I met him was that um, there were Beatles fan clubs in Canada long before they were in the United States. And actually, when the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan Show, they imported girls from Canada who were running Beatles fan clubs to sign American girls up to form fan club chapters. Really? They brought girls to New York from Canada to try and get other girls to form fan club chapters in the United States. Really? So, I, I did, did not, not know that. I never knew that either. The the history that American fans think they know is the history of the Beatles in the United States, but the history of the Beatles in North America is very different. And yeah. I never knew any... 40 years of being a fan, and I never knew any of this until I met Pierce. So, oh, and I know, not only were did the Beatles records come out, they had, I think it was like a top 20 hit with She Loves You... Yeah. Oh, well before I Want to Hold Your Hand came out. Yep. Yep. And it was just stuff that 
when you think you know it, you don't know it because it's, it's again, I, and I'm going to say it, I'm saying this to you, you're Canadian, it's that American arrogance about the only history of North America that matters is that in the United States, which is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, well, I have, I have connections to Canada on many levels, including the fact that my son went to university in Canada. So I, I try not to have that, you know, U.S. arrogance about North America. But unfortunately, um, when it comes to Beatles fandom, you know, there's a lot that American fans don't know and don't realize. And I am forever grateful to Pierce for putting out his book, for um, correcting that history, you know, because it's important that it be correct. And I, and, and I think that the more we know, the better it is. Exactly. You know. Ah, I love being Canadian. <laughs> right this minute, I'd like to be Canadian myself. <laughs> oh, we'd welcome you. Uh, well, I'd, I'd welcome you. Well, I'd go. If I could go, I'd go. Trust me. <laughs> anyway. Actually, um, now that I think about it, us Canadians got the better end of the deal for most of the British invasion bands. Like, mm-hmm. the arrogant Capitol Records executive in the U.S. turned down everybody, so they ended up all on, like, Epic Records and MGM. But here in Canada, all on Capitol, we had the Hollies, the Dave Clark Five, mm-hmm. Manfred Mann. Yeah. yeah. Because it's... Alan White, I think his name. Uh, no, Alan White's somebody else. Oh, Alan White is name. the... Paul White? Yeah, somebody. I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I don't have the book in front of me. But yes. yeah. I can, um, yeah. But yeah, it, it was the executives in Canada were a lot more receptive to what British capital was sending them. And it was the prerogative of the um, labels, the various uh, labels in other countries, whether or not to accept something that was being sent to them from Britain. And the Canadian executive said, sure, we'll release it. And the American executive said, heck no, we won't release that. And that's why Capitol Records lost out on probably like hundreds of millions of dollars. You better believe it. Because they could have had all of the British invasion bands signed on their label. Yep. And who knew? You know, I mean, the thing is that back in the day, they thought it was a flash in the pan. So they were just waiting for it to all collapse. It didn't. Yeah, no, but, but when's the uh, bubble gonna burst? Exactly, and when it didn't collapse, I think it was as much of a shock to them as it was to some other people. But um, those of us who are music fans know better. You know, we we can spot it a mile away. You know, yeah. that it wasn't gonna collapse so quick. You know, so so, what does it mean to you? Or wait, no, what do the Beatles mean to you? <laughs> oh, that's a deep question. Um, you know, the Beatles mean more to me than I can even probably say. Um, first of all, my life wouldn't be the same was I not a Beatles fan, okay? I, if, if not for that girl, Debbie, and I can't remember her last name to save my life, but that girl that I met when I was 14. Um, Debbie What's-Her-Face. Yeah, Debbie What's-Her-Face from Long Island, and that's all I can tell you. Um, Shout out to Debbie What's-Her-Face from Long Island, if you're listening. <laughs> I know about three Debbie What's-Her-Faces from Long Island, maybe more, but they, <laughs> not, not that one. I lost track of her a long time ago. But anyway, um, if not for her, I wouldn't be the fan I am. But the thing is, okay, I've met so many people. You are among them, okay? I'm, I'm, you know, right to this very day, 
uh, I have met so many people that I am really good friends with, that I am, um, that I'm close to, that I have um, lifelong friendships with because I'm a Beatles fan. <laughs> um, I've met more people because I've been going to the fest since 1977. My first um, uh, New York Beatles fest was 1977. So that was the, it was three years after it started in 1974. And, um, I met Mark Lapidos, who runs the fest, when I was, you know, 15 years old. Um, so I know him forever. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, just... I met Mark Lapidus when I was 16. There you go. So, and, you, and now you know him. And you I, always will. I don't know him that well. I think we'll, we'll rectify that. <laughs> we we had a a, brief, a very brief conversation, but I would like to get him on the podcast sometime. He, I think he would be glad to do it. You just have to get a hold of him. Uh, I, I'm I'll, friends with I'll, him on Facebook. Yeah, he doesn't always check Facebook, but I'll, you talk to me. We'll see what we can do. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll, at least if you can't get a hold of him, I'll help you. But but um, anyway, um, I bet he would do this. For, do this podcast for you i really think he would probably enjoy it and um, i'd love to ask liked, him about the early days of the fest oh you you he would love to talk about that he will absolutely love to talk about that he loves to tell the stories so it would be really cool i'd love to hear um, the stories he has good ones he has good ones i'm not going to give them away because they're his stories but mm-hmm. um yeah i mean I, I but i met so many people that i'm close to so many people that i'm friends with um, it's really funny because like, this is more recent, but I, I came across a photo the other day that was taken at Beetlefest 2003, and there's about nine or ten people in the picture, and I am still friends with every single one of them. And this was it was taken at the Chicago Fest in 2003. Wow, that so, was a year after I was born. Sorry, I couldn't go. make it. <laughs> well, you you made up for it though. You yeah. showed up later on eh? with my one. But, to date well, appearance this is not going to be your last oh it, it will not it will it's certainly good. be not or it's not. it's nice the fest is wonderful because um as i as i described it to my brother at one point who who didn't really understand he came he was um living in illinois a number of years ago and he uh, or in wisconsin and he came to, to chicago for the weekend that happened to be the weekend of the fest so he came into the fest for a couple of hours to see me and uh He'd never seen me at a fest. He'd never been to one. And I warned him before he showed up. I said, now, I am not the person you think you know when I'm at the fest. I said, because the fest is where I sing the song of my people. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. It's true. I mean, it it is true. Yeah. I have a hard time explaining it to my friends. Yeah. It can be very, you can be very hard to explain, but it's, it's where you find your, your, you know, your people. And, um, so being a Beatles fan means a lot to me because there are people that are near and dear to me and things that I've done that I never would have done and music that I liked that I never would have known about had I not become a Beatles fan. So in many, many ways, I am the person that I am because I'm a Beatles fan. What kind of music ha- would you have not have discovered? Uh, 50s music, a lot of it. Um, probably would never have really cared very much about Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry, Carl Perkins, um, you know, all those people, R- Little Richard, um, just stuff that the Beatles liked. So I wanted to know what it was all about and I listened to it. Um, you know, uh, 50s music took me a while. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, but now I love it. And um, it's still taking me a while. Like, I like Buddy Holly. 
<laughs> and I like um, I like Little Richard, but that's mm-hmm. that's about it so far. Oh, we got to work on you. <laughs> not no, a big, not a big Elvis guy. Well, you know that's an acquired taste. I'm not going to lie to you, but I, but if you really, I'm gonna, I'm gonna recommend this to you because um, I have a um, a box set of um, Elvis the Fifties Masters. Okay. So it's it's all his fifties stuff in chronological order. Okay. And um, it's worth picking up if you can download it or get the CDs or something. Um, but um, it's probably on it Spotify. It's probably there somewhere, yeah. And um, I um, I actually got the box of CDs because at the time I, I got it when it came out, I was working for um, EMT Music, which owns RCA Records, so mm-hmm. we could get a lot of booty when we. You know, when we work for the record company, they give you lots of premiums, and that was one. Anyway, listen to it in chronological order, and you it will blow your mind. It will blow your mind. People, the slow deterioration say, of Elvis? No, it's not a deterioration, because this is the 50s. This okay. is the 50s masters from the beginning to the end of the 50s, before the army, and when he was still this literally the king of rock and roll um he wasn't a las vegas lounge act and he wasn't making cheesy movies um this was this was elvis in his purest form like just fresh off of sun records yes and when you listen to that stuff um it will change your mind it will change your life and i don't exaggerate it will absolutely change your life and your mind because he was something to behold Hopefully. No, he was. Trust me on this one. No, I mean, hopefully I'll like it. I think you will. I think you will. You just have to listen to it with open ears and an open mind, but you'll understand. You'll understand because it's what John Lennon and Paul McCartney heard when they were your age. So that's, it's, it's, you, you will understand better what they heard and what they saw. Fair. Okay. But yeah, so that's what being a Beatles fan means to me. It's that I, my life would not be what it is. Um, my friends would not be who they are. What is your favorite memory involving the Beatles or of being a Beatles fan? Um, I've got several. Um, first of all, the one about hearing the music when I was a little kid. So, yeah. um, you know, that one, earliest memory. Um, going to fests. Um, my first fest, uh, this is actually a really cool memory. 1977, um, so I was 15, it was February. They used to do the fest, the New York Fest in February. It used to be over George Harrison's birthday weekend. And uh, my father had read something about this Beatles convention in um, the newspaper. And there was a phone number to call if you wanted information, and it was Mark Lapidos' office in New Jersey. And it's, I believe, still the same phone number. But anyway, um, my dad took it upon himself to call this crazy man in New Jersey and ask him if it was going to be safe for his 15-year-old daughter to go to this lunatic thing. And uh, I guess Mark gave him the right answer because my dad allowed me to go. But I was only allowed to go on Saturday. I was only allowed to go during the day. And I had to go with my friend and my parents had to drive me and my friend into Manhattan and pick us up. We weren't allowed to ride the subway. This was New York in the 70s. You didn't ride the subway. Oh, yeah. And... um, I, I mean, even fest. nowadays, I've had some experiences on the subway in New York. Well, it depends where you go, you know. I mean, I, I ride the subway all the time, so I'm biased. But but yeah, New York subway can be an experience. But in the 70s, it was a dangerous experience. Oh, yeah. And um, 
I went to the fest with my friend. Um, back then, the game was that you saved up as much money as you could, which was usually somewhere around 50 bucks. Okay, that was a lot of money. Yeah. And you went to the fest with $50. And then you went to the dealer room. Oh. And you saw how much money you could, how much stuff you could buy, and how much of that $50 would still be in your pocket when you left. And none of it would be. I'm oh, assuming. no. A lot of it would be. What? I was very good at buying stuff and coming home with $35. How? Because stuff wasn't worth anything in 1975. It was passe. It was not worth anything. It was people didn't realize anyone wanted it. And it was before any of them were dead. And it was it broken up five years before. Sweet Jesus. And nobody, nobody cared. I mean, you know, I remember being able to go to garage sales and buy stuff for a quarter. You know, I went to the Beatles. Of- I, I brought $400 with me to the mm-hmm. fest. Yeah. And all I got were a couple records. Yeah, that's what it's like now. But in the early, in the mid-70s, um, I remember going to garage sale um, with my folks. And we weren't looking for Beatles things, by the way. We were just going to garage sale. And um, I picked up a copy of the Beatles Flip Your Wig Game. Oh. All parts intact for a quarter. And I picked up... The Do you still two, have that? Oh, I still have it, yes. It's worth... I mean, the box is a little torn, but it's still worth probably $300, $400. Yeah. And um, I picked up the, the two um, novelizations of Help in a Hard Day's Night, um, the, the little paperback books, um, mm-hmm. for $0.10 cents a piece. And they were in perfect condition. So I, oh. we spent thirty. We spent $0.45. Cents. $0.45. Cents. And you got the mm-hmm. Beatles flip your wig game and yeah. the two novelizations. Yes. 45 cents. Well, at that very first fest in 1977, in the last part of the, the dealer room was a whole long ballroom that had been opened up. And the last vendor that I went to in the back of the last room had a vintage I Love John button, the big, like, three-inch round button, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and he wanted $2 for it, and I bought it. It was probably probably some of the money that I came home with, you know, $2. And um, after John's death, somebody offered me at a fest, because I was wearing it one time, offered me $200 cash on the barrel head, and I said no. <laughs> so uh, I still have the button. Yeah. But yeah, um, so that kind of thing, being able to buy- I, I will give you $4. <laughs> That's twice your investment. The dollar's worth more, baby, now. <laughs> no, I, it's... it's um, Six dollars, no more. That's my final offer. <laughs> and I'm going to say no, sweetheart. <laughs> I'm crushed. Uh, you know, wouldn't... I mean, I'm sorry to, like, crush your dreams, but there you go. <laughs> That's business. But yeah, yeah, but being able to buy Beatles stuff cheap, that was fun. And, and just other... I got lots of weird Beatles stories, man. I got tons... Um, I got a weird strawberry field story. If you want it, I can tell you. That kind of ties into my next question. What's your favorite mm-hmm. weird piece of Beatles trivia? Beatles trivia. Or um, tell your strawberry field story. Yeah, because weird trivia is kind of I don't I don't really know because I I mean the trivia is what I consider trivia and what other people consider trivia maybe two different things. Okay. Um, but the weird strawberry field story is um, in. I, I tend to not go on the anniversary of John's death, and that's mostly because uh, I live here. I can go anytime I want, and it's way too crowded. And 
every weirdo in New York City shows up and I'm just like, I don't have the head or the stomach for it. So I generally do not go on December 8th. I, I go any other time of year. I don't even do tours on December 8th because you can't get into Strawberry Fields to talk about it. So why bother? Mm-hmm. Um, there's like one day that I won't do a tour. I'll do a tour on holiday, but I won't do a tour on December 8th. But anyway, tangentially. So in 1975, not 75, 85, 1985, sorry. I was talking about the 70s before. 1985, a friend of mine came up from Florida um, to visit. We were going to a concert um, at Madison Square Garden, having nothing to do with the Beatles at all. It was a radio station Christmas concert. And she came up. And she wanted to go to Strawberry Fields on December 8th. So I said, sure, why not? So we went. And uh, while we were there, this was before it was an organized gathering with organizers. And it was only just usually a few fans would show up, you know, maybe maybe 25 people. It was not a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it was freezing. And we'd stand there freezing our butts off and whatever. Um, and um, I took her and we went. And we got to chatting with this guy while we were in Strawberry Fields. And um, he was he was a youngish guy. Maybe he was a little older than we were, but not by much. Maybe he was, you know, maybe he was in his early to late 20s like we were. And um, he was going on about Yoko Ono. He loved Yoko. He was crazy about Yoko. He was talking about how much he admired her as an artist, how he admired her as a person. Yoko, 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 which was fine. You know, if you're a Yoko fan, hey, um, we're talking to this guy and it got really cold. And at one point we we went down the street to get some coffee or hot chocolate because we were freezing. And we came back and there was nothing particularly remarkable about this fella, you know, except he really liked Yoko, which was fine. <laughs> and the only thing I can tell you is he, he bore a, a, a physical resemblance. It was, this was not who he was, okay? I don't remember his name. But he bore a slightly physical resemblance to um, David Johansson of the New York Dolls. Okay. Okay. He, he had that kind of elfin face, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, in fact, he said people would remark on that all the time. Um, by the way, I met David Johansson years later. Nice guy. That's total tangential thing. But anyway, not this guy. But he had that kind of, that kind of look, you know? And well, we so just in- gave all the glam rock fans out there their fix. There you go. But this guy had that kind of, you know, it was it was enough of a resemblance that he was memorable for that reason. Okay. (laughs) And we went our separate ways after that evening. And my friend eventually went back to Florida about three weeks or so later. She calls me up and she goes, oh, my God, are you watching the news? So I said, no. She goes, you have to turn on CBS News like now. So I put on the TV and there is our friend. Mm-hmm. from Strawberry Fields getting arrested for attempting to break into Yoko's apartment. He was stalking her. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And she was like, isn't that the guy that we were hanging out with on separation? I'm like, hell yeah. Oh, my God. You know. So, yeah. it was that. That's my kind of weird um, weird Strawberry Fields story. Um, yeah, it was definitely... Yeah, definitely strange. But yeah, he was arrested for stalking Yoko in 1985. So, wow. <laughs> you know, I meet all kinds of people. I'll tell you. Um, that is that more of a Beatles fan story or more of a New York story? Both. <laughs> because if you weren't in Strawberry Fields, you wouldn't be. A Be- I mean, if you weren't a Beatles fan, you wouldn't be in Strawberry Fields. Yeah, necessarily on that day, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's a New York story too. 
It's, yeah. I mean, I got, I got those as well. Unfortunately, I don't have any New York stories involving John. No. Uh, I never saw him. I tried. My husband saw him once, though. Never crossed paths. No. And it wasn't for lack of trying. I used to wait outside the Dakota all the time on school holidays. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I drag my friends into Manhattan and they go, I want to go Lennon stocking. And I'd be like, well, I do. So. And we'd stand outside of the Dakota, but he would have just left or just come back, so we never did see him. Never got his autograph? Unfortunately, no. Never got to exchange a word with him in this life, that's for sure. But uh, not for lack of trying. Have you met any of the others? No. I have not met any of the Beatles. It will happen. I am... It will happen. Well, I have come real close with Paul McCartney a few times. Um, I have never spoken to him, although I do know one time he heard me yell because um, he was on the night of Ringo's 70th birthday. He was going into the concert at Radio City Music Hall and I was standing outside because I didn't have a ticket. Mm -hmm. That's a complicated story. I won't go into. But anyway, he was going in. Everybody in the line was coming unglued. He was trying to ignore us. He walked past and, of course, I yelled, Oh! And he turned around and I blew him a kiss and he blew one back. So I know he heard me. <laughs> Paul pointed to me once at a concert. There you go. So, I mean, yeah. my life kind of reached its peak. Well, if you meet him, it will really reach his peak. Reach its peak, but you know, yeah. yeah. But if you have you ever spoken to to Sarah Schmidt on your show? Uh, I have not had Sarah Schmidt on my show yet. Okay. Emphasis on yet. I will. <laughs> I, I'm going to try and get her. Yes, yeah, Sarah has a, has a story about Paul reading her sign at a concert, but I won't give it away. I I brought a sign to a Paul concert once, except uh, I had written too small, and I could see him mm-hmm. squinting trying to read it, <laughs> and so it, it, <laughs> my hopes kind of slowly shriveled up as yeah, I could he's... see him trying to make out what it said. He's yeah. He's he. You know he didn't have the glasses. What can I say? We, yeah. We went. Uh, we went to another really good Beatles memory. Actually, is um, gosh, this must have been. I'm thinking 2002. I don't even know. Maybe it was later than that. I can't remember. But anyway, um, Paul did a poetry reading when his book Blackbird Singing came out. He did a poetry reading at the 92nd Street Y on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and I went with my friend. And um, he did an interview, um, which was edited down. And um, he did, he read some of the poems. And um, when he got up to read, he took out a pair of reading glasses mm-hmm. and put them on the end of his nose. And all these people were like, oh my God, Paul, wears reading glasses. And he looked over the top of the reading glasses at the audience and went, we all get older, <laughs> you know. And then he read some poems and, um, song lyrics and um that was that was an interesting experience because half the audience was beatles fans and half the audience was little old ladies from the upper east side who go to the lectures at the 92nd street y who had no idea who this guy was so um yeah it was an interesting experience but yeah he put the reading glasses on and people couldn't believe he had to use them and it was like well uh, what's wrong with that he's over 50 give me give me a break there you go all right, and now here's the most... I find it's the most interesting part of the show. No, it okay. isn't, but... Eh. <laughs> it's it's my favorite part. It's okay. time for some quick-fire questions. Okay. What is your favorite Beatles song? It Changes Daily. What is your current favorite Beatles song? 
<laughs> I couldn't tell you because, like I said, it changes daily. Sometimes it changes hourly. Okay. <laughs> what it's are like whatever mood I'm in? Top <laughs> top five. Uh, top five. Okay. Well, I could give you at least three. Okay. Um, uh, uh, oh God. Now I'm. I feel fine. We can work it out. Please please me. Um, oh gosh. I can give you the top three. I can't give you. I want to hold your hand for sentimentality's sake. Um, that's like my top four. Top okay. five. Tough. <laughs> I mean, that that's that's three more than I originally anticipated. So, <laughs> you know, three times the yeah. fun. That's if pressed, you know? Yeah. Tomorrow it'll be different. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty. Mm-hmm. What is your least favorite Beatles song? My least favorite Beatles song is uh, Got to Get You Into My Life. Explain. I can't stand it. Well, for a variety of reasons. Um, I can't stand it because back in the 70s when it was re-released, it was overplayed. It was overplayed to the point of pain. I didn't want to hear it anymore. I was annoyed with it. Um, I actually liked the Wind and Fire's cover, though they did a nice cover of it. They did? Um, they did. Um, and my brother was a big Earth, Wind and Fire fan, and, and that was kind of how I got into it. I, I heard that first and then went on to listen to other stuff by them, and I love Earth, Wind and Fire now, but, you know. Um, I just, the song was overplayed point of pain around 1977. Mm-hmm. And I, and then I, finding out the story behind it and just, I, and mind you, I'm, I don't have any problem with people smoking marijuana. This is not, I, I don't care. It's just that it kind of destroyed whatever I might've thought about the song it was like, that's really what it's about. Give me a freaking break. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I, I can't. And I really don't like that song. I really don't like that song. <laughs> Really? That mm-hmm. that's a first. Yep. <laughs> and it's all cuz that 1976 re-release. Yes. Wasn't the yeah. B-side of that Helter Skelter for some reason? I think so. I can't remember. I like Helter Skelter though. Oh, I love Helter Skelter. Rocker, man. But, but it's yeah. Fucking weird choice for a B-side. To uh, well, got yes. to get you into my life. Uh, you know, back in the 70s they were compiling stuff I think oh, it was the rock and roll, uh, rock and roll know. music, love songs, right? And uh, all that. I mean, and, and this was all to capitalize on the fact that people had bought the red album, the blue album. Yeah, you know, I mean, I have those albums. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, the rock and roll music one is really pretty funny when you look at if you look at the original cover design. Oh yeah, it's all fifties. It's like what the heck? And I, I heard know. a quote from Ringo mm-hmm. saying like, "What the fuck is this?" Pretty much. Like, it cheapens us. The Beatles weren't cheap. Yeah. And it looked really cheap. It was Yeah. Like, With all the Coca-Cola glasses and the jukeboxes. Yeah. It was just very... Yeah. But, I mean, I own a copy of it. But, but you That's know... That's the thing with us Beatles fans. We can trash something all we want. Mm-hmm. Turn it... We, we probably own it. Of course we do. Because, oh, yeah. you know... Um, Some own multiple copies of it. Oh God! Like yeah, myself. No, I, well, that's it, you know. And it, and it, you know, but that it, it was it was weird because it was just capitalized on. By the late seventies, people were starting to have interest again. Now, in the in the early was that a pun? What? Capitalize. No, <laughs> it wasn't. I just said it. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> it sorry. You're a you're a poet, and you didn't know it. Yeah, I disappointed you by telling you it wasn't a pun, I guess. But no. You should have just said it was. <laughs> well, yeah, but 
I'm honest, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was um, by the by the late seventies, people were starting to be interested again. But in the in the early to mid seventies, it was the height of uncool. You know, being a Beatles fan, God, I I caught so much crap from people when I was in junior high. You know, why don't you like Led Zeppelin? Well, I do like Led Zeppelin now, but because the girl who used to give me shit for liking the Beatles, you know, was a Led Zeppelin fan, it took me a long time. <laughs> Led Zeppelin's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> of course they are. But, you know, when somebody's giving you grief because you like the Beatles and they like Led Zeppelin, you don't yeah. care. <laughs> it's like, why don't you like the Bay City Rollers? I had a few of those, too. <laughs> My friends, I mean, who gave me rather than they said they were better than the Beatles. Yeah, they're the <laughs> next Beatles. Yeah, I tell you, these Osmonds—they're gonna stay forever. That's been the—it's been the refrain since the Beatles broke up. Who were the next Beatles? There are no next Beatles. Let's yeah, be very frank here. <laughs> and it's still going on today with like BTS and yeah, all the yeah. new K-pop groups. You know what? All those manufactured boy bands. Nobody manufactured the Beatles except themselves. Yeah. Okay. You know, Brian Epstein refined it, mm-hmm. but um, they didn't do anything they didn't want to do. And they formed themselves. They weren't formed by an impresario who wanted to make money. So, yes. Yeah. I would not equate the two. But anyway. What is your favorite Beatles album? And you can pick between the US albums and the British albums. The American version of Rubber Soul. Okay. The one that starts off with, uh, I've just seen a face. Yes. And that is because it is a perfect example of one of the few times that I believe Capitol did better. They created a very harmonious little folk rock album. And I'm not the only person who has said that. Ask Rick Spicer about it sometimes. You know what? I'm one of the few people I dislike the it's not that i'm indifferent i dislike the u.s capital version of rubber soul oh that's funny because i love it <laughs> I, i'm not saying you shouldn't i'm not saying you should but i mean i I, I always expect when i put on the record to hear drive my car mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. to hear i've just seen a face from help is just weird and to me it's on rubber soul See, like I told you, I, I get confused as to what's on the British albums. So I and then they put it. my favorite song from Help as the opener to side two. It's mm-hmm. only love. Yeah, that's on Rubber Soul, too. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's that's my favorite Beatles album. For sure. What is your least favorite Beatles album? I don't know if I have one. I like them you all. You can pick compilations here. Uh, but the compilations aren't bad because if they get people into the Beatles, that's okay. Their significance the in this, the significance doesn't matter in this scenario. It's okay. one that you personally do not like. Um, that is a, that it's a difficult question for me because I like them pretty much all. Um, but I would I would definitely say probably the, the rock and roll music collection. I, I, it was just kind of pointless. Yeah. And then they ended up splitting that into two compilations. Yeah. Which yeah. I have both. And also, I'm going to say this, as much as I own them, um, the 
gazillion and one John Lennon compilations that seem to come out every couple. There's probably going to be another one in October. Oh, um, you know, uh, there's he only had so much output. He's been dead for 40 years. Look, how many times can I buy another remix or rearrangement of every song he ever did? Uh, you know, I've I've stopped because it's like love you, John, but no. I mean, spending my money on the same thing. Uh, I, I'm not adverse to like the new remixes that are coming out because I, I like the sound of them for the most remixes part. Remixes are something else, though. Remixes yeah. is, I'm talking about re releasing the same stuff. Yeah, but they haven't done that in like a couple years. True. But who knows what's going to happen in October? Seriously, who knows? Yeah. You know? Um, I'll, I'll probably buy it. Whatever comes up. And I probably. And I'm spe- talking a good game, but I'll probably do the same. Yeah, us Beatles fans. Like, I was telling uh, Kid O'Toole about this, um, mm-hmm. the Beatles singles collection. Um, yep. I didn't want to buy it. Mm-hmm. I was angry that Universal was milking the fans so dry. It's like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do now? Like, weird picture sleeves from around the world? And by the mm-hmm. time I had already finished that trail of thought, it was in my Amazon cart. Of course, because yeah. it's what we do. It's what it's we do. It's what we do. We complain and then we do it anyway. We, we complain because it. we love. It, exactly. And they know we're going to do it. it they, it's a money printer. It's yeah, a mo- unfortunately. They could re-release <laughs> that box set again this year with different picture sleeves and it would sell just as much. Better believe it. Better yeah. believe it. Because yeah. Beatles fans will buy anything. Yep, we will. And I'm, yeah, we will. Which is frightening, but there you go. I say this, uh, I'm not on top of a soapbox here because mm-hmm. I'm one of them. Of course. I mean, I, so I'm, I'm telling you, oh, yeah, I don't do. Yeah, I do. Let's be very real here. I mean, I don't always, but yeah, I do. Yeah. We all do. It's like, how many more copies of fucking sergeant pepper do do i need <laughs> i hear you I yeah hear you. Y- you don't know until the next one comes out mm-hmm. saying this I, it, this is the definitive version i never knew that i needed a monophonic vinyl copy of sergeant pepper until the guy who gave me the record collection gave me one Oh, and how different it was from the stereo one. I, and then I, I went, yes, I need to own this. So yeah, my first uh, copies of all of the Beatles albums on CD was uh, back in 2011. Mm-hmm. My mom had gotten me the Beatles and Mono CD set, mm-hmm. so that's how I experienced most of the albums in their entirety. Yeah. Were yeah. Uh, mono, so yeah, I'll always prefer the mono to the stereo. Yeah. And it's interesting, but you don't realize how you actually do need to own those things. Oh, yeah. You, <laughs> need, you, to, do. you need both. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. So, wow. This has been a good talk. It has. It's been great. I've enjoyed talking to you. I've enjoyed talking with you, too. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Fans on the Run. And, uh... I guess we will see you next week with our guest, Piers Hemmingson. I think is he's our guest. <laughs> I'm, I'm 90% sure he is our guest. <laughs> You're in for a treat with Piers. He's, he's a great, uh, great historian and great guy. So. <laughs> so I guess ta-ta for now. Bye all.
Dance on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.